The following program is presented to you by the New York State School Boards Association. NISBA's President's Gavel Podcast is supported by the Harris Beach Educational Institution's team of attorneys. Harris Beach successfully represents more than 130 school districts and BOCES clients throughout New York State on matters involving school district operations, labor and employment matters, cybersecurity, and student issues. Learn more at www.harrisbeach.com. On this episode of President's Gavel, we discuss how district leaders can maximize student performance by ensuring equitable access and opportunities in their district. We also consider what steps to take to get stakeholders on board with DEI initiatives and offer insight into the role student voice plays in the creation of an equitable educational system. All this and more, stay with us. Let's call this meeting to order. Hello, everyone, and welcome to NISBA's President's Gavel podcast, a podcast for all school board members. I'm your host, Mark Snyder, Senior Leadership Development Manager at the New York State School Boards Association. And today we're talking about maximizing student performance through access and opportunity. I'm very excited to introduce our guest for today's podcast, Dr. Beth Bukowski. Beth is an assistant professor at Virginia Commonwealth University and the coordinator of the EDD in leadership at Virginia Commonwealth. Welcome, Beth, and thank you for joining me on this episode of the President's Gavel. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. Beth, your areas of expertise include social justice, inclusion, and diversity in education, with a focus on how organizations and systems influence the experiences of faculty, students, and staff. Can you tell me a bit more about that and what your work and research has uncovered? Absolutely. Uh, so let me start by telling you a little bit about my background. Um, I was a Navy brat growing up, so we moved around a lot. Um, I started after I did my bachelor's and master's at Virginia Tech, uh, Virginia Polytechnic and State University, or Virginia Tech. Um, I became a high school English teacher and I taught freshmen, sophomores, uh, seniors. I taught both remedial, quote unquote, regular and AP classes, so the gamut. And so I got my PhD at the University of Texas at Austin in the department of now it's called Educational Leadership and Policy. I then became a tenure track professor at the University of Louisville and studied higher education issues. Um, faculty, staff, students, and I also did some work in K-12 and understanding K-12 contexts. I was then recruited back to the University of Texas. And then the reason I left Texas and came to Virginia Commonwealth is the pandemic, and I really wanted to be closer to family, and I am, and I love that. Um, and I love working in our EDD and leadership, but my point about all of those experiences is that I have seen education work in a lot of different ways. Um, and I've seen it from a lot of different positions. I've been both a student in it. You know, we all have educational experience of some kind. I think that's pretty cool about our field. Um, but I've been a teacher. I've been a leader in the organization, outside the organization, working with people from across the organization that I've never met before, and working with people that I have really well-developed relationships with. And I, what it's given me an appreciation for is, number one, that education is both 
so familiar and the same everywhere you go and yet so unique based on the context. Um, and so my research specifically really focuses on understanding how people experience organizations. So when you think about like what makes up a human being and all of their various identities and experiences, I try to sort of focus on a specific subpopulation. For instance, I've done some work on um, men of color in community colleges. I've done some work on black faculty. I've done some work on queer and trans graduate students. So taking that sort of subpopulation and asking the question of how do you experience this organization? Uh, what works for you? What's not working for you? And I try to take those stories that they gift me with um, because it's a real privilege to listen and to hear people's stories that they're willing to share. But how do we translate that into policies and practices that can support all students? And, and I think that's going to be one of the, the big themes of our discussion today is, is including all students and, and listening to all students. I think that's uh, most important as, as we think about shaping and developing systems and organizations that meet their needs. We need to know what those needs are and we need to know uh, you know, how how best they believe they could be served by those organizations. But before we really start to unpack all of that, uh, I, I think I'd like to uh, talk about something that we discussed as we were planning for today's podcast, and that's student performance. We want to build these systems. We want to build our educational programs that will lead to better student performance. But as many of our listeners are aware, the definitions of high performing students are changing. And even in New York State, there are new pathways to graduation that are being developed. So I was wondering if you could share your thoughts about what student performance means. Hmm. That's, well, that's an easy question. It means an A, right? <laughs> no, it's a really hard question. Um, and I think this is part of my orientation to the work that I do is I'm always asking questions around what do we mean by that? And when you ask the question, what do we mean by performance, who you talk to, where you are and what you're talking about really matter, right? Um, you know, and it, it's the, the old saying of, if you judge a fish by how well it can climb a ladder, well, the fish does terribly. You know, so what are we, when we think about performance, number one, it's how does what a student is doing measure or compare to what we want the student to be able to do, right? In its very simplest form. But the question is, what is it that we want them to do? Why do we want them to do it? And how do we want them to show us that they can do it? And standardized testing um, says that it needs to be in a test format. Uh, says that it needs to be taken in a specified time period on specified days um, and and that it needs to be in a specific format in order to even be visible or acknowledged or legible as performance, right? So um, a student might take a quiz and they're supposed to fill in the bubbles, but instead they draw a picture and they have like little talking bubbles. They might answer the questions, but if they're not in the bubble format, then they're not legible as performance. Does that make sense? Yeah, yes, it does. Uh, and as, as we think about student performance uh, and the opportunities and access that are provided by the educational system, you know, is there linkage there? Is, is there a connection there between the two? Absolutely. Um, organizations, number one, are created by people, which means that they can be changed by people. But 
an organization, whether virtual or brick and mortar, shape the experiences of the people in that organization. Uh, the policies shape it. The color of the walls can shape it. Um, the, the kinds of murals that are depicted, the way that we subtly communicate to each other, you belong here or you don't belong here. So yeah, organizations have the ability to shape the experience of the people who are part of that organization. Number one, people create organizations and they can change organizations. And number two, we are fundamentally influenced by organizations. And I tend to think of them like nesting dolls organizations, right? You have the organization of your family, you have the organization of your friends, you have the organization of your school or your community, um, and on and on and on and up uh, through the organization of our federal government and through the organization of the UN and even the way that the world relates to each other, right? Those are all nested organizations in some way, shape or form. And so we both create that structure and we have the opportunity to change that structure to make it better. Because I think when you look around the world, there are a lot of people suffering and there are a lot of people who don't get opportunities, don't get access to them, or they get access to them, but then they're not supported through it. So then they drop out, et cetera. Um, and so the ability of organizations to create an environment where people can show up and be and show up and get the most out of it is, is a really incredible thing. Uh, that's part of what I love about organizational studies. Um, and in terms of like more regionally speaking, you know, the basic finance system for um, K-12 education in America is that the education dollars afforded to a particular student or to the students in a particular school or area is determined by the incomes of the people living in that area. And it's a basic idea of it's my money. I want it to go to my kid. Right. Um, and I get that. But I am a servant leader. That's, that's how I personally identify as a servant leader. And I like to think of it more as I want my money to go towards all kids. I want all kids to have an opportunity and I want all kids to, to have their needs met. Um, and there's, you know, there's something about where if you have a school district that has um, high income families living there, they're gonna get more money, which means they have more opportunities. Uh, and we know that high income families are, for instance, more likely to be two parent families, more likely to have um, jobs that are flexible, more likely to have um, better health care, more likely to have better leave policies, um, all of those kinds of things, which which becomes a virtuous cycle of those with things getting more things. And that's wonderful. But the problem is, is that on the flip side of it, you've got kids who are in a more low income area and they don't have things and they're getting even less of things, right? So then you have a vicious cycle on the other hand. Um, and so I think about what are the opportunities and what are the, what are the ways in which we can think about how education is in fact a public good? Um, it's meant to serve the entire public. It's meant for everyone to have an opportunity to get. It doesn't solve all problems, you know, we often think of it that way, like education, you know, lines up with all of these metrics on um, well-being, but it doesn't, in fact, cure everything. They ask different kinds of questions than adults question, um, than adults do. Um, they'll often ask questions that sort of come at things sideways, um, and they'll also pose solutions that adults won't think of. And it's not that those solutions are always doable, because you know, if, if you're a student, you're not seeing the whole big picture necessarily, 
they're seeing their little piece of it, but they're saying, this is my piece and this is how you can make it better. And so often how we can make that student's little piece better is something pretty small, but often it's also something that like, that would actually be pretty easy to scale. That's something we could kind of do for every student. And if it's helping this student, it could probably help a lot of other students, you know? Um, I, I think of the phrase, um, a rising tide floats all boats. Like that's kind of something that's always in the back of my mind is how do we get all the boats to float? How do we create a floor so that students have something really solid to stand on, all students? Some of them are gonna be on a ladder up there, sure, but I don't want any to be like drowning. <laughs> I don't want any students to be drowning in the ocean, right? I want them to be on the boat with wood underneath their feet or metal, whatever kind of boat you want. I don't know what your imagination's telling you. <laughs> yes, and, and uh, I, I can really appreciate that. Uh, as as I, I say uh, quite often, I myself was a board member prior to joining the School Boards Association, and we embarked on a project once, an initiative uh, as a school board to really incorporate student voice into more of the decision-making process. And, and there was one student, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget him, uh, who said, you know, it, it, it was less about the fact that, you know, uh, the the school board was giving them what they wanted it, it was it was more uh, about the fact that they were taking the time to listen the the students were really enthusiastic about finally having an opportunity to share their voice and, and to have their their thoughts and their ideas heard and i think a lot of ways that's uh that that's empowering for the students yes but it also communicates to them that uh, the, the school district cares about them and is, is ready to listen to them. Uh, we are almost out of time, but I would like to ask one more question. And uh, it's the $30,000 question. You know, in New York State, there are some districts that are just beginning this journey to building a more equitable school district. And there are others in which some district stakeholders are opposed to this work. So in these districts, how can school leaders either start the conversation or develop strategies to garner more support for creating uh, a more equitable school district? Mm -hmm. And I think I'm gonna start by piggybacking off of the last thing that you were talking about, which is that people want to be heard. And when you're heard, when someone really listens and understands, doesn't, not listening to formulate a counterpoint, not listening to argue, but listening to truly just seek understanding as the value, right? Um, that means that you also feel seen and heard. Um, and being seen, uh, being understood is like such a basic human need. And so if you're just starting this work, number one, um, you have a whole, you know, interwebs, it's my joke word for it. You have a whole interwebs to go out there and find out about the experiences of people who are different than you. And again, being a military brat, um, learning about other people and other ways of doing things um, is, is an honor. Like for people to open up to you and to share, this is how we do things. This is how I make sense of things. This is how um, my community does things. I mean, that's just an honor to, to have someone open up to you in that way is really awesome. You don't have to agree, but to understand is really, really great. And so number one, start by educating yourself and learning. Number two, start connecting with people. Um, we, I think there are just so many arguments that happen. And so often we want to vilify someone because of something they said or something they did. But 
just because someone did or said something bad doesn't mean that we should throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Doesn't mean that we should throw them away. They're not a trash person. Um, you know, it's not a moral indictment on them. Um, but we have to be able to learn and grow. Um, and so when I think about coming together, I think it has to start with the listening. Um, it has to start with understanding that the impact of something that is said or done is not the same thing as the intent. I think human beings by and large are well-intentioned people. Um, but just because we have a good intent doesn't mean that someone else feels that good intent. Um, so normalizing mistakes, I think, is really important. Um, and, you know, the there's also, I think it's important to not freeze people in time, if that makes sense. You know, people learn and they grow. And just because you had a conversation last week or last month with a person and you did not get along with that person and you thought that person was being stubborn or rude or whatever, whatever, whatever. Number one, you don't know what that person is going through. But number two, maybe that person reflected. Maybe they've changed. So being open to people changing and being open to continuing the conversation. You know, I think that's probably one of the biggest things is just be committed to staying in the conversation. You can take a break but be committed to coming back to the conversation and back to the dialogue. Yes, and, and allow others uh, that opportunity as well to uh, join the conversation, leave the conversation if necessary, but then return uh, when uh, they feel safety and comfort in, in having that dialogue. Before we close, here are five takeaways from today's discussion. One, school district leaders should define student performance and success in their districts expanding beyond test scores and identifying what it is that is being measured. Two, data and research demonstrate a tangible link between providing equitable access and opportunities for students and student success. Three, adopt an all kids mentality that serves and promotes the success of all students. Four, student voice is critical to building a more equitable learning environment and truly serving the needs of our underrepresented students. And five, when engaging in equity work, consume as much knowledge as possible to be informed and able to have fact-based conversations. Seek to listen to understand. I would like to thank Dr. Beth Bukowski for taking the time to join us today for what has been a great discussion. Thank you so much for having me. If you're interested in learning more about today's topic, check out today's show notes for additional resources and for an in-depth look at how the board can foster learning environments that are more diverse, equitable, and inclusive, sign up for one of our new micro-learning courses. For more information and to register, head over to nisba.org. And if you enjoyed today's conversation or find yourself tuning in each month, head over to NISBA's Facebook or Twitter. Have a topic idea? Email us at gavel at nisba.org. We want to hear from you. And this meeting is now adjourned. I would also like to thank my NISBA colleagues working behind the scenes, making it possible to bring this podcast to you. Thank you, Megan DeGennaro, Al Marlin, and Alyssa Mayello. My name is Mark Snyder, Senior Leadership Development Manager at the New York State School Boards Association. 
And this has been a production of the President's Gavel.